front page with me this morning is Terence Fernandez, veteran journalist, columnist for The Star and The Oriental Daily. Good morning, Terence. Morning. And Yiswari Palansami, senior correspondent at the Malay Mail. Good morning, Yiswari. Good morning, Chasmin. All right, let's take a quick look at this one. Tun M recalls colonial era says freedom is not a given and many Malaysians are fortunate not to have experienced the indignity suffered by older generations under colonialism. Um, what does he mean by this and what was context, uh, Terence? This is basically a rehash of Tun's many speeches during uh, Merdeka mm-hmm. and the AMNO Assembly. You know, he's always previously, at, yeah. previously yeah. of course. And uh, and uh, in today's context, I suppose he's speaking to you know the millennials um, t- to get them to basically remind them of you know the struggles that mm-hmm. we had to go through, that he, his generation had to go through, and the gen- generation after him, and also uh, our generation, the current generation, for instance, who remember what we had to go through under the previous uh, regime, right. So basically, you know, it's uh, basically Tun M giving some grandfatherly advice <laughs> about, you know, appreciating what you have. You know, you're not old enough to remember the struggles that we went through, but we could lose it all. Right. Yeah. Um, do we still find it hard to move away from an oppressive government? I mean, it depends on it depends on how you see it, actually. Um, you know, um, change um, comes with time. It's not easy to change after being under, um, you know, uh, a regime that has ruled for more than 60 years. And, you know, there's pretty much a lot of rehaul that has to happen. People's mentality have to change, you know. Like, you know, a lot of us here, we are so afraid, like, you know, perhaps with the exception of me and uh, Terence and a lot of us here. But, you know, the mention of the word liberal is so bad, you know. The the context of it is, is demonized. So... It takes time, you know. I wouldn't say we are under an, an oppressive, you know, regime. Definitely not. I mean, you compare us with North Korea and few other dictatorships, we are so much better. We have progressed. Mm-hmm. We are still progressing. So, in line with that, a lot of other things, it comes with time. One thing Tun likes to talk about is uh, economic colonization. Right. Uh, as well. So, uh, we can be free from our colonial masters. But if our mindset is still from 50, 60 years ago and, uh, you know, we are still trapped in that kind of mentality, we are not going to be free in that actual sense because we are still subject to bigger and more more and wealthier countries. We we should... should not have this feudalism mindset, you know. Mm-hmm. We, we've got to move. Move on. So, yeah. All right. When we come back on front page, we'll take a look at the resort along Jalan Batufringi, whose buildings had collapsed and taken four lives. That is up next here on Shock. On front page with me this morning is Yiswari Palansami, senior correspondent at Malay Mail, and Terence Fernandez, veteran journalist and columnist for The Star and Oriental Daily. The owner of a resort along Jalan Batufringi may have been building walls on his own to prevent soil erosion for some time before a landslide struck, killing four foreign workers. Penang Works Utilities and Flood Mitigation Committee Chairman Zairil Kir Johari said there were signs of such efforts, but the authorities have never been informed. And um, on Tuesday, Day four foreign workers were buried alive in this freak landslide accident. What could the consequences be for the owner of the building without all these proper documentation and paperwork? Uh, well, um, the local council can go through legal means, you know, like a mandatory order to demolish and all that, because 
people die you know yeah. and also it's it's an illegal structure you know so the local council has that that power or they can you know just compound fine but when debts are involved it depends what the person is being charged with actually so if you're charged with murder then it's the death penalty mm-hmm. we've not actually abolished it as yet you know right. if convicted uh, when of course is is if convicted then it's the death penalty and if you are charged with culpable homicide not amounting to murder then it's up to 30 years but that also means it could just be 10 years so it depends on the sentence actually it depends right. on the judge's discretion you know moving forward i know there are a lot of structures you know that i guess anyone can build uh, I, i see it in my own old neighborhood you know all these uncles suddenly building you know four story houses when before it was just a one story house so what will the government or you know um, the authorities do to curb all this in, moving forward Wait, in this case, you got to find out why did he put up the retaining wall and where was the retaining wall put up? Was it in his own land or was it in government land? He put it up to halt erosion. Did he take matters into his own hands after various uh, attempts, appeals to the state government and the local council were unheeded? We don't know. But I think what we also need to focus here is uh, the issue of occupational safety and health. Mm. There were... 206 deaths from occupational accidents last year alone according to the Department of Occupational Health and Safety and 118 of those deaths were from the construction sector and we had about 108 uh disabilities from mm-hmm. construction accidents that's way too high so um so there is not enough uh, penalties being placed on uh, company direct on directors of these companies to take uh, responsibility the fine i mean in the event of a uh, death of your worker you know you can get away with a 50000 fine maximum 50000 fine mm. and the courts have been known to Uh, to issue penalties of you know 10000 15000 mm-hmm. you know for a debt you know so there is um, so there's a proposal from the national institute of occupational safety and health to increase the penalties to you know, i think 5 years minimum for a jail and uh, from 50000 to 500000 so there's something that we need to look into because yeah. it's been happening way too often yeah and not also sli- let's let's not forget in penang landslides are like happening every other time mm-hmm. and you know um environmentalists have raised the red flag and uh, you know the state government said they'll still go on and allow you know uh, uh, uh you know the developments on on hill sites and all to go on right. so there needs to be they need to sit down talk about it and really come up with something we cannot be having people dying from you know construction accidents over and over again it's usually the foreign workers and who's going to defend their their rights absolutely well definitely hope to um see some developments positive developments in this area now coming up former dpm um zaid hamidi has now topped the list with 87 charges we'll take a look at that headline next here on shock on front page with me this morning is terence fernandez veteran journalist and yiswari palansami correspondent at the malay mail and um it looks like datuk sri ahmad zahid hamidi has amassed the most criminal charges amongst prominent individuals from the barisan national era accumulating 33 more charges yesterday to bring his total to 87 counts and um this means that uh, zahid who is currently on leave as umno president has now overtaken sabah former sabah 
Sabah Chief Minister Datuk Sri Musa Aman with 51 charges as the BN leader with the most criminal charges at the moment. Just so we know, uh, Datuk Sri Najib has 42 charges and his spouse, Datin Sri Ros Mamansor, 20 charges. The question is, do we have the resources to charge multiple parties for the various cases of corruption? Because we have another 41 entities and individuals as well, right, with MACC. Mm. And I think more charges are coming out next week. Uh, your thoughts, Terence? Short answer, no. We don't have the resources. Under the previous regime, the MACC budget was cut, if not mistaken, by about 50%. And, uh, but, of course, there's, uh, the current government has uh, given the assurance to the MACC that they will give all, whatever support that they can get. Now, the problem with MACC when it comes to cases like this where forensic accounting is, is involved, they don't have much expertise so they, they would have had to recruit from the private sector, which they have mm-hmm. done for PKFZ and uh, 1MDB. They got uh, top-notch uh, consultants, accountants, uh, auditors from the big four and beyond. And uh, they have uh, helped them to chart or draft the charges. So uh, there is there is uh, a lot of training that's, that needs to be done for mm-hmm. our, the current MACC officers. But for a big case like this, they, you know, they don't have the resources because you might you, you need to go abroad. And, right. uh, and like what the auditor, the former auditor general told me, you know, we had he had 20 officers who needed to fly all over the world right. to follow the money trail. That's pretty, I mean, incredible. Uh, mm. Will we see an end to this case, these cases being tried? Mm. Sorry. Well, it depends. Again, what when we say an end to these cases, it, it's usually the timeline of it all. You know, how long is how long is it going to take? You know, if it, you know th- these are serious charges. You know, and to make it worse, 80, 80 over charges. You know, so. It's a serious case and multiple charges mean if he's convicted, the sentence may be extended depending on whether it is concurrent or consecutive, you know. Uh, say if it's two charges, one charge is five years. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, if the judge makes it concurrent, the person will serve five years. Likewise, if it's consecutive, then he'll have to serve 10 years. And if he's convicted, he'll have a five-year ban. He can't practice, you know, I mean, he can't be in politics, you right. know. Uh, unless, and of course, he gets a royal pardon, you know, like that to Sri Anwar Ibrahim. So that that's literally how it works. It's, it's going to be a very time-consuming thing because, you know, this is historic. So there are lots of uh, things which they are going to be looking at. I mean, let's let's just look at the current trial with Dr. Sri Najib, you know. Sometimes there are a number of postponements because yes. they need to get a lot of other things to back the cases up. So it's going to be a very time-consuming affair. And these are really serious charges where you have to call so many witnesses to testify. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's incredible, but not unexpected, I think. Yeah. No. Well, coming up, uh, could a new electoral system make politics more moderate? That's something we want to explore next here on Shock. On front page with me this morning, Yiswari Palansami from the Malay Mail and Terence Fernandez, columnist for the Star and Oriental Daily. Taking a look at this one, could a new electoral system make politics more moderate? In order to encourage positive changes to Malaysian politics, academics and activists have long suggested reforming the country's electoral system. Uh, and some of those suggestions have centered around adopting a mixed member proportional representation system similar to that used 
in Germany, the MMP. I don't quite understand what that is. What is the mixed member proportional representation system, Isori? Okay, um, I must tell you, it is a little bit complicated, okay, the MMP system. So basically how it works is the MMP system is where voters actually get two kind of votes in, in elections, okay? So they vote for the individual and they, uh, without taking into account the party that he represents, and in another vote, they vote for the party. So there's two, you know. Right. And uh, the total uh, seats will then be allocated to the amount of votes for the party. That's how it works. But but there are a lot of other things in between which we have to read and understand before mm-hmm. we, we implement such a thing. So um, there needs to be a lot of uh, research and it's going to be a, lit- a little bit time consuming to make people understand. Because you see, we have a culture where uh, voting is not really something which people take seriously. Yes. You know? And in some countries it's mandatory and here we still have a choice. We are only now talking about uh, lowering the voting mm-hmm. age to 18 when many other countries have done it. So yeah. it's a long way to go. Okay, so I read the comments on this article and a lot of people were commenting about how Malaysians are, like you mentioned, you know, it's just too complicated for them. It's way above their heads. Yes. Uh, your thoughts, Terence? Is this true? No, lah, it's not so It's not so complicated. Lah. You just go and vote for your preferred candidate and then go <laughs> home lah, with a dirty <laughs> finger. But uh, this system that is being proposed... I mean, it has pros and cons. I mean, it's more represent it's more representative of the electorate, where you actually vote. You you actually tick your your first preference, and then you also name your second, third, fourth preferences as well. But the thing is, you may have a situation where the not so preferred guy, like the guy who's number three on the list, may end mm-hmm. up taking it all because they want an absolute majority. That's yeah, the whole exactly. point. Right. Yes. Not, they do not want simple majorities anymore. Mm. So this system allows for somebody who who ends up becoming the MP or the Adun to actually have the 51% that he needs right. to represent. Do you the, feel Malaysia can benefit from electoral changes of any sort at this point? Well, um, you know, I feel... Malaysia is still far from reaching maturity in terms of politics, really. Mm. You know, there are still many rural areas in Malaysia that are still only beginning to understand, uh, you know, the importance of voting and the electoral system and whatnot. So, if you ask me personally, I feel it is not the most opportune time to change an entire electoral system just when we are you know, having this rehaul, we are changing a lot of things, making it more transparent and, you know, um, credible and whatnot. So we need to clean up what what we already have before we start looking at something new. So that, that's how I look first, at it. First, remove the serial number on the ballot paper that mm-hmm. is marked against your IC before you go and into right. the into the ballot box so your so your that's vote right there. is not a secret and that is how they know how many percent Malays, how many percent non-Malays are voting for this particular mm. party or candidate? Uh, coming up, we'll be taking a look at the ex-judge um, heading probe into enforced disappearance of Pastor Ko and uh, Amri Chikmat. That's up next here on Shock. On front page with me this morning, Terence Fernandez, veteran journalist, columnist for The Star and Oriental Daily. Hello. And Iswari Palansami, senior correspondent at Malay Mail. Hi. Taking a look at this last headline, former High Court Judge Rato Abdurrahim Uda has been appointed head of a six-member task force to probe the alleged involvement of special branch members in the enforced disappearance of activists Amri Chikmat and Pastor Raymond Ko. In your opinion, Terence, is Rato Abdurrahim Uda the right person for this job? I have no issues with Dato Abdurrahim Uda. Uh, I think... Yiswari will also elaborate on his background a bit. The issue that many people have is the overall composition 
of the, yeah, the task force. Of the task force. Yeah. I mean, it looks like a task force that is uh, set up for the optics, but also to appease the police because the majority of the members, members. of this task force comprise people from the police force. Right. And uh, the terms of reference of the task force is to establish Suhakam's findings that a special branch was involved in the disappearances of Pastor Ko uh, and uh, three other persons actually. Because there was a couple from Sabah who mm. also, also disappeared. So I don't think that there was much sincerity in setting up this task force to begin with. And after setting up the task force, um, now Tun Mahade comes out and says that, you know, if people are unhappy and if there's going to be any uh, issues with the composition of the task force, then they will listen to the public's grouses and take action. So what kind of action yeah. are, you going to, are you going to... Because the grouses have already started coming they in. Have, exactly. From Pastor exactly. wife, in fact. Yeah. yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Yuzwar, your thoughts? I mean, you see, um, the the fear or the criticism here is is uh, rather legit, given the findings which Suhakam um, revealed. So when uh, I mean, if you look at it, Datuk Mokhtar he formerly led the legal department of the police force, and he was directly involved in um, investigating Amri's disappearance. So. For sure, the families are going to feel like what type of transparent findings are we going to get from this? And, uh, you know, after what Suha, after the damning findings by Suha come, th- there's definitely going to be these questions which come. I feel that, the I, I personally feel that the setting up of this task force was perhaps a bit of a rush job, as what uh, Terence right. said, you know. I, I'm not doubting the credibility of either one of them. I mean, they are, they are experts in their field. They've done it for years. But of course, there is the question of conflict of interest which you cannot deny mm-hmm. and again like the findings of Suhakam which they directly claim to you know police uh, implicate the police and, and what not so it, it is a legit question and we have to address that question because the whole point of establishing something like this is to gain the trust of the people that the government is doing something and it's doing things transparently to find out the root cause of it you know yeah. so if, if it's shrouded in a climate of uncertainty and doubts end of the day even if the finding is 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 transparent there is still going to be doubt because of the composition of the members and given their history uh, with the party that's been you know alleged in the Suhakam finding so mm-hmm. yeah alright well we'll definitely be watching this uh, story as it develops uh, thank you both so much for joining us this morning on thank Front you page. for having us thanks for having us and of course that was Terence Fernandez, veteran journalist columnist for The Star and Oriental Daily also Yiswari Palansami senior correspondent at the Malay Mail Thank <laughs> you.